Welcome to Sundays at Grace. So glad you've joined us again this week for the podcast. I'm Pastor Bill. This is the preaching ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. And I have a question for you this week. How are your New Year's resolutions holding up and holding out? I read recently it's about 40 days in and most New Year's resolutions kind of run their course. Usually our resolutions fail us because we fail them. We're in a new series for a new year for a new you called 2020 Vision, Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes. And in this series, we're talking about this prayer that Paul had that Christ would be formed in us. And, um, and it's a powerful prayer and it's a powerful reality and we're exploring that in this series. Hey, if you go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes for this message. Um, and you also, if you would so choose, can click a link and support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church and help us put out these podcasts as well. Now, I, I do have to say that I've given this message a very interesting sermon title. I have entitled it, More of Who I Am. And all I can say is by the end of the message, that sermon title will make a lot of sense. And we're gonna see four ways today that Christ is being formed in us. Again, thank you for joining us. I hope you have an awesome week and I hope this message really is empowering to you. Let's get right to the message. start with a question this morning and if you want to if anybody wants to use their Sunday voice not your library voice but your Sunday voice and you want to share an answer to this you can but is there a question here's a question to engage our minds kind of get us going this morning is there a skill an ability a talent or something else you can think of that you have developed over time something that 20 years ago you couldn't do and you've developed this over time or another way to phrase it is there something you have grown into over time a job, a responsibility, a relationship. For, like, for instance, we all get married, right? You get married and the next day you're like, what I do? I got married, oh no. And then, you know, 20 years later, it's like, oh, you know what? It wasn't so bad. It was a good thing. I grew into that relationship. Um, that's not always the case, I know, but lots of times that is. So is there something in your life? I remember the first time I was a junior in high school. It was kind of a youth Sunday and I preached my first sermon at church and I had all these notes and I had all these points but God, I remember God is and all these things God is and in 10 minutes I was all done. Here I am all these years later in 10 minutes and I'm just getting by my, my introduction and into the heart of the message. So anybody, can you think of something over time you developed that maybe you weren't good at but over time you developed it? Yeah. Okay, very good. Learn, learn, that's true, you learn how to follow Christ. That's kind of going to be in the message today a little bit, I suppose. But anybody can think of anything. If you can't think of one, I've got one illustration I will give you. To be a better parent, right? We all learn how to be a better parent, right? And that's why when you have like lots of kids, the last kid, you know, is like, first kid's like practice. And the sixth kid is like, get this thing down. Well, I can just tell you this. I came to the church 15 years ago. We, Dan Arkhamet was not a sound engineer 15 years ago. And somehow over the last 15 years, I don't know when it even happened, he took over the sound booth. And today he's, he's an amazing sound engineer and can tell you all kinds of things about running sound in the church and making this stuff all work and loses me. And he understands the computer side of things, runs three computers back there and gets everything going. And now he's training Tim how to do it. And um, 
So I can just say that there's a good example of something you develop over time. Well, here's the reality. Um, and I uh, set my glasses down here. That might be helpful if I have these. But <clears throat> here's the uh, reality this morning. Um, when, we, when we look back at our life, we look at those things that we develop. Here's, here's our, uh, I guess, this is our series right now. Uh, a new series for a, a new year for a new you. Uh, 2020 vision, seeing your life through God's eyes. And what we want to do in this series is really look at ourselves and see ourselves the way God sees us and see our year the way that God sees our year. The, the thing is, we often, you know, start out this time of year, we set those New Year's resolutions, and that's really not a, that's not really a good way to go about improving our life, just setting some resolutions that we fail, and of course then they fail us because we can't do them. We said last week, a better way than just setting some random resolutions to do better and to be better? What if we develop for this next year a godly vision for 2020? What if we had a godly vision, a vision that, that God has for our lives and for what's going on in our life? Galatians 4.19 is the key verse of this series. It's, it, it's this church at Galatia that is wrestling and struggling with this whole grace and law dynamic and they're just having a tough time with this idea that God's grace is enough. And, and Paul says to them in Galatians 4.19, my little children from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And Paul just wanted to see Christ formed in this church at Galatia in their lives. And he, it's the same thing for you and I today. What is God's will for our life today is that Christ would simply be formed within our lives in greater and greater ways. In fact, we said this is really the pinnacle of a New Year's resolution. You want to set a great New Year's resolution, just say, my resolution this year is I want Christ to be formed in me in greater and greater ways. And as we said last week, our behaviors are the byproducts of our beliefs. So let's find a scripture. Let's find a key scripture. Let's focus on that scripture. Let's form a, a belief out of that scripture. And then let's just allow God to form himself in us over this next year. Now, one of my desires in this series, and I'm not sure how this is going to work out, really. I'm still walking this week to week here, but my desire is that all of us could find one area in our life in 2020 that we want to see Christ formed in us in greater and greater ways. So here's four areas. This is one way to look at it. There's four areas. First, our relational life. Maybe you look at your relationships and think, in my relationships, I want to see Christ formed in me in this way. Or maybe in your public life, in just your character and who people look at you as when you're out in public or on the job. And then there's our private life, what, you know, what we're doing privately, you know, that no one else knows. And it's our devotional life and it's our spiritual spiritual disciplines of just spending some time with God and, and developing the Christ life within me. And then, of course, there's our ministry life. And you might say, well, I'm not in the ministry, right? <laughs> well, we all are, in a sense, in the ministry. We're all called to minister and to serve and to use our spiritual gifts to further the kingdom and build up the body of Christ. So you can start there and maybe you can circle one of those. And as we go through the message today, maybe you'll circle one of those. But even beyond that, to get even more and throughout the series, get to, to tone it in and say, you know, in my private life, in this area, or in my public life, or in my relationships, I, I want to be more like this, like Christ. And I want to see Christ developed within me. That's kind of the, the, the goal, the emphasis of this series. Now, this morning, we're going to see really, um, here's our big idea. Let's put it this way. Here's our big idea for today's message. We'll see this in the text that Cindy read for us already. It is the divine power of Christ that nurtures the divine nature of Christ in me. 
And we're going to see it again today. You have the divine nature of God in you. He dwells you. And so it is the divine power of Christ that nurtures the divine nature of Christ in me. And we're going to see today really four ways that Christ is formed in us. Four ways that Christ is formed in us. So let's walk through the first four verses. We'll start there. And I will, just to warn you, that the first four verses kind of take up a large chunk of this message. So don't get concerned if it's like, wow, he's, where's he getting here? We got a lot way to go. But the first four verses are really a lot of the message. Simon Peter, he says, or Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. King James says a like precious faith. Brian Study Bible says a faith as precious as ours. Um, by the righteousness of God and, save, and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power, here's our big idea, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sin desire and so we simply see that big idea there it is the divine power of christ that nurtures the divine nature of christ in me in other words christ being formed in me is christ being formed in me now let me give you just a couple a little bit of context here of the text in terms this morning just two things he says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness that would be the same thing as saying he has given us the christ life we talk about that, we use that term a lot here, the Christ life. We have the Christ life. When we're crucified with Christ, we're resurrected with Christ, and we're given the Christ life. And, and the Christ life is another way of saying Christ is being formed in me. I have the Christ life. Now, he needs to grow up in me. He needs to be formed in me. That's the reality. So, <clears throat> that's kind of a little bit of a context for what we're going to and walk through this morning. So let's look at the first way that Christ is formed in us then. Four ways that Christ is formed in us. The first one, we find it in that very first verse, and here it is. Christ is formed in me by the faith given to me. And we're picking up where we left off last week. It says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, or this like precious faith. So what's he saying here? Well, he's saying here, first of all, that we all share the exact same faith. Every one of us in this room that are saved, we have the exact same faith faith. We have a like precious faith. It's one of those things that unifies us. And just as when we are crucified with Christ and raised with Christ and he gives us his life, he also gives us his faith. Okay, so just think about that reality. Go to Romans chapter 12. Here's a great parallel passage. Look at this in Romans chapter 12. Paul is writing here, and he's speaking in the context that this is a church that is a body, and they have different gifts and abilities and ways they can serve one another in the body. And he says, For, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then use them. And so we all have these gifts that God gives to us, but he doesn't just give us these gifts 
he gives us, it says, a measure of faith. So when you're saved, you're given a measure of faith so you can use the gifts uh, for the glory of God. And so Christ can be formed in your life. That's one of the ways Christ is formed in your life through this faith that he gives to us. Now, the the question we often come to at this point, is that saying that some get more faith than others? Do some people get a greater measure of faith? Here's how I would answer that if you, if you kind of wrestle with that and think, do some get more? We all have the same, exact same, like precious faith. And here's how I would answer that. Basically this, we all have enough faith to live the Christ life and to fulfill God's will for our life. So God has given you all the faith you need to unlock the Christ life within you and to fulfill his will for your life. Just know that. It's that simple. Now, do some get more faith than others? Well, let's say there's somebody that lives over in the Middle East and they're being persecuted and maybe they're going to be martyred. Maybe they're going to be beheaded for their faith. God might give them a greater measure of faith so they can stand up to that persecution. Paul might have had a greater measure of faith, probably did than me, because of the persecution he endured. God will give you the faith you need to live out his life, to um, fulfill his will for your life, and so he can be formed, adequately formed in you. So that's all you need to know about that. You have all the faith that you need. Now, here's the the, the thing. When we look at this verse, verse 1, and I think I put it back up here. Here's verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, and Savior Jesus Christ. The verse, the word that jumped out at me this week, I didn't plan this, but after last Sunday's message, I'm, this is the next uh, passage I was going to go to, and I'm reading this, and this jumped, first one jumped out at me. Note what it says there. Note, the faith we have to live the Christ life is obtained. And that's what we said last week. It's not my faith. It is the faith of Christ. And that is a tough concept for us to grasp. It really kind of can be a tough concept for us to wrap our head around, that it's not my faith, it is his faith, but we are given a measure of faith. So let's go back to those verses last, from last week, Galatians 2.20. Here's the translation we normally use, the English Standard Version here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's Pretty much how every modern translation says it. It says, I live by the faith in the Son of God. And and I understand why they do that. It just sounds more normal and more natural. But that's not, that, that just misses the greater point. And so the King James actually does nail this very well. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I live uh, by the faith of Christ, not my own faith in Christ. And that's the reality. So here's the point we made last week. Let me just, just kind of reemphasize it again. Remember, we are saved by Christ's faith, not our faith. And that's, a tough, that's tough to get. It's like, well, no, I have faith, I believe. And I, but no, I am saved by the faith of Christ. Think about this. Okay, so Jesus comes to earth. He's fully God and he's fully man. And in his duties as being fully God here on earth, what does he do? He holds the whole universe together. Bible says, by him all things consist in the atoms. They don't implode. He holds everything together, even though science would tell you the atoms should implode and the electrons and neutrons and all that shouldn't work together. They do. And he holds everything. It all consists because of him, because he's God and that's his power. But at the same time, in his duties as man, he had to surrender some of his divine privileges. The fact that he was all-powerful 
Well, he couldn't live your life. He couldn't know what it was like to be you unless he surrendered his power. Oftentimes we look at the miracles Jesus did when he was on earth and we say, well, those miracles prove that he was God. No, they don't. The miracles that Peter did didn't prove that Peter was God. No, the miracles Jesus did proved that he was sent from God, that, that he had authority from God because he had surrendered his ability to be all-powerful so he could live life and know what it was like to be you and me. The same thing is true when it comes to his knowledge. He was not all-knowing. He only knew, he says, he says it repeatedly, I only know what the Father tells me and I only do what the Father tells me. I'm under his authority. And so he limited his knowledge to know what it was like to be you and to be me and to live our life. Philippians 2 says he, he, he emptied himself. Or Philippians, yeah, it's Philippians 2. He emptied himself. And uh, he emptied himself so that he could live our life. Being fully God and fully man at the same time. Why is that important? Because here's what I think we tend to discount. We tend to discount the fact that Jesus needed faith. That there was a role of faith in Jesus' life. And so Jesus is born. We've said this many times. He's born. He grows up. He's one. He's two. He doesn't automatically know who he is. He doesn't know he's the Messiah. He doesn't have this divine knowledge that says, you're God. And so he has to study the scriptures and learn from his mom like any other Hebrew boy would have done. And one day he had to say, hey, that's me. And he had to believe by faith. And as he grows up and goes to the cross, he by faith has to believe that, yeah, if I go to the cross... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cleanse the sins of the world. I'm, I'm going to f- help people be reconciled and redeemed to God. And if I die and go into the grave, the grave won't hold me. I'll resurrect again and I can give everybody my life and I can give everybody my hope and I can give everybody my faith. And he had to believe that. Here's how it says it in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law... But how? By the faith of Christ. I'm justified by his faith. He had faith in the redemptive plan. He believed that he could could, uh, save me from my sins. He believed that he could rise from the grave and give me life. So he says, we are not saved um, by works of law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. But listen to this. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Isn't that cool? And, and And not by the works of the law, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's why it's grace. Because I'm not saved. You know, if you struggle with this reality of it's his faith and not our faith, just swap the word righteousness. Are you saved by his righteousness or your righteousness? No, it's his righteousness. Am I saved by his faith or my faith? It's his faith. It's all grace. That's the point of it all. So, but no, even we have believed in what? We believe in Jesus Christ. So what do I believe? I believe that he believed that if he went to the cross and died, he would rise again. He believed that. I didn't believe that. So here's the reality. You could say it like this. We believed in Christ, but we did not have the faith of Christ. I can prove it to you. So we looked at the verses last week on Resurrection Day, right? When Jesus was telling the disciples what had happened and how he had, you know, what his death had meant and his resurrection had meant. He was explaining it all to them the day of of the resurrection and that night. And he was kind of saying, this is why I went to the cross. This is why I laid down my life willingly, because I had faith. Well, look at this conversation. This is before, this is before the cross, before he is crucified. And one day they're all together and Jesus says, who am I? And Peter blurts out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
So Peter got it, right? Well, I don't know if Peter did get it. Listen to what it says here in Mark chapter 8. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wait a minute, I think I might have missed a, 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 missed a verse on the screen there. Yes, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, verse 31, and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning aside, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here's Jesus telling, before the crucifixion, saying, This is what's going to happen very plainly. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. It's going it's to save the world from their sins. And Peter's like, uh, Yeah, I don't like that plan, Lord. <laughs> Why did Peter say that? Because Peter didn't have enough faith to understand the plan and... Uh, and, and see the plane carried out. It's like, yeah, I don't think I would die on the cross and go in the grave, Lord, because you might not come back out. And so even when he explained it to them plainly, they still didn't get it. Why? Because they did not have the faith. You see, we believe in Christ, but we do not have the faith of Christ. I got him backwards there. That's the reality. So understand, my righteousness is not good enough and my faith is not strong enough to save me. It's all Christ. That's why it's grace today. It is He does it all. And I just believe, yes, I believe that He had the faith. I believe that He believed He could save me. <clears throat> and He is the one who had faith in the redemptive plan. I didn't have faith in the redemptive plan. In fact, you can even see this, just one more stretch here. After the crucifixion, after Jesus rises from the grave, uh, about a week later, where's Peter? Peter's back in his boat fishing. And Jesus comes to Peter in his boat and says, uh, Peter, uh, do you love me? <laughs> and Peter's like, yeah, I love you. And he's like, no, no, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And he's like, no, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus is like, well, what are you doing in the boat? <laughs> Get out and feed my sheep. What are you doing back in your boat if you love me? Why was Peter in his boat? Because Peter still didn't have the faith that he needed. We often say that it's the resurrection of Christ that changed something in Peter and made him this rock and made him radical. And, and I, I'm sure the resurrection had a part in that. But I, you know what I think did it? It's in Acts chapter 2 when the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and filled Peter. And that's when Peter changed. When he was filled with Peter and probably when God gave Peter the faith that he needed, the measure of faith he needed to go and do what he was called to do. On our own, our righteousness is not good enough and our faith is not strong enough. That's the reality. So, it is the divine power of Christ that nurtures the divine nature of Christ in me. And what might help us is to see faith as part of, excuse me, part of this divine nature. That the faith I have, it's part of the divine nature of God. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So here's the second point. Christ is formed in, a, in me as I get to know the one who called me. Christ is formed in me as I get to know the one who called me. And, and the fact of the matter is, called, God has called every single person to salvation in Christ. And then 
once I get to know him, once I get to know him, I am called to greater things. I was called to be a pastor, of course. Uh, a lot of in our, in our family were called to adoption. We're called to all kinds of things for the, for the Lord, to serve the Lord. You know the pinnacle of your calling in Christ? You know, the, you know the greatest desire God's will for you is in Christ? That Christ would be formed in you. <laughs> that Christ would be formed in me. That Christ would be formed in us. That is the pinnacle of His desire and His calling for us in Christ. And so, how is Christ formed in me? By, by getting to know the one who has called me. It's kind of like the smartphone illustration I used a couple weeks ago, right? We get these smartphones and these smartphones have all this potential. It's in the palm of our hands. It can make our coffee when we get up in the morning. It can do our laundry for us. Man, smartphones can do all kinds of things today, right? And most of us just don't know that it can do all those things. We have all this potential in the palm of our hands and we just aren't aware of everything it can do. And I would say when it comes to your life because you have the divine nature in you, the, the potential that's in you is, is mind-blowing. We just don't know it. We, we just, and so the more I get to know who I am in Christ and the more I get to know the one who called me, the more I realize, wow, wow, I can do, wow, I can do that, wow, I can do that, wow, I can do that. And God has given me the measure of faith to actually see it through. It's an amazing thing. It's knowing my potential. He also talks in here about his divine power. And just think of resurrection power. When you think of that divine power, it's the resurrection power of Christ that is in me. And the more I know Christ, the more I can know his resurrection power. And the more I know his power, the more he is formed in my life. Now, just understand this, this idea, though, that Christ is formed in me. It transcends theology we can tend to make this a little bit thea- I can, it's okay it's his faith and he believed and it's all theology and but no it's not it's practice it's practical and so what, what i mean by that is that christ is formed in me as i get to know jesus through my suffering and when i go through adversity and hard times and when i suffer i get to know christ better and, 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 and he's formed in me in greater and greater ways. Suffering is a golden opportunity to get to know Christ and for Christ to be formed in you in greater and greater and greater ways. That's just one simple example. I'm sure, I'm sure Paul knew Christ, knew Christ more intimately than most of us in this room because of the suffering and the persecution he went through. Christ is formed in me as I get to know Jesus through my devotional life. So that's why we do. Yeah, we're all about grace here, and it's not legalism, but there's something for the spiritual disciplines of simply spending some time with God every day and reading the Word and talking to Him and and working those things out in our life. There's something about taking this message today and taking the questions at the end of the message and just finding some time this week, 15 minutes to work through those questions and say, Lord... What are you saying to me? What are you doing in my life? That's, that can take this morning and make it so much more powerful. So it's not just checking a box and fulfilling a requirement. It's about spending time with God and, and getting to know Him more deeply and more powerfully. And then Christ is formed in me as I get to know Jesus, as I trust and obey Him. When I look at my ministry life and I think, well, I do have a ministry and God has called me to serve him and God has called me to be a witness and God has called me to step out of my comfort zone for him. That's the simple reality. 
One other thing in the, in the texture, just a note, he says that so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And just notice that word escaped. And again, this is a little different. This is often not described by most people this way, but I, I see more and more Bible teachers today kind of grasping this reality. But to have the divine nature is to escape the corrupted or the sin nature. And so again, sin does not define me. Sin is not me. Sin is in me. Sin is in me and I struggle with it. And I haven't escaped the sinful desire of my flesh. My flesh still wants to do sinful things. But sin does not define me. I have escaped. And so I have one nature. I have the nature of Christ. That's who defines me. And my sin nature was crucified with Christ and was buried in the grave. And it did not rise again. And so lots of times we hear that we have two natures and they kind of war with each other and we have one nature and our nature does war with our flesh, our physical body. Our, war, our, 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 our divine nature wars with the philosophies and strategies and ideologies of this world. That is true. That is true. But you're either in Christ or you are in Adam. So Christ is formed in me by the faith given to me. Christ is formed in me as I get to know the one who called me and Christ is formed in me. Look at verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities... If these traits are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Let me jump here. Christ is formed in me, not by what I do, but who I am. Christ is formed in me not by who, what I do. And we can tend to look at it like this. If I do better and be better, Christ is formed in me. And, and, and Christ is formed in me by my behaviors and my actions. But no, it's not by what I do. It is by who I am. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. What are these qualities? These are the qualities of the divine nature. That's the reality. It is not simply about how I live or what I do for Christ. It is about who he is in my life. So Paul starts with our faith and he says, add to your faith. And he mentions seven things. Seven things to add to your faith. And just understand it this way, okay? It's the divine power of Christ that nurtures the divine nature of Christ within me. And so what I'm adding to my life here, I'm not adding a behavior or behaviors. I'm adding an identity, I'm becoming a brand new person in Christ. And all of those seven things are describing the divine nature of Christ. And so add to your faith, the faith that comes from Christ, add to that these seven qualities, these seven traits, these seven aspects of the divine nature of Christ. And as I said in this series, I hope we can all find one thing we want to focus on in our relationships or maybe in our private life or our public life or our ministry life and, and maybe one of these seven things will jump out at you and you'll just, it'll just like God will just hit you in the head with it. You need to have more brotherly love or you need to have more virtue or you need to have whatever it might be and listen for that voice. The reality is, think about it this way and I said this a lot in the last year but here's the, the way. These qualities are nouns that I possess not verbs that I do. 
These, again, are nouns that I possess. These are the, the things that, that are the, the nouns, things I have from God, the divine nature. And so it's Him in my life, not just what I do to do better and be better. Now, one other thing here about this, notice that these things, this divine nature, that it can increase. The identity of Christ within me, the divine nature within me can increase. That's when Christ is formed in me and it increases. Now, here's the thing about this. This is really good. So, there's, this, is, this is some of the best marriage advice in the whole Bible right here. I'm going to show you Peter's marriage advice right here. Peter has some great marriage advice. Uh, if there's anybody here, here's the reality. Some of you in this room, in 10 years, Jenna, <laughs> Titus, we have some young people over here. 10 years, you could be married. I mean, seriously. 24, 25, 26, 27, you could be married. Evan's not here today. I'd pick on him. Peter's marriage advice. So here's the, de- here's the deal. Usually when we, when we get married, when we start a relationship with someone, how do we start that relationship? Well, wow. Woo. They're really attractive, right? <laughs> and, we, and, and the way they look catches our eye. And then maybe it's their personality. It's like, I mean, like, I know when Trisha met me, I was like, he is just the humorous, most humorous guy in the world. Wow, you know. No, we all have our personalities, right? And so, and so the reality is, is that you find something, you like their personality, or maybe it's their interests, and you like to, you know, rock climb together, or you like to watch the Red Wings together, or you like to watch Hallmark movies, whatever, you find the same interests, and we build our relationship on all these things. Well, what's the problem is, you find somebody, you like them because of how they look, and 20 years later, well... You know, they put on 20 or 30 pounds and, you know, or maybe their personality starts to wear on you after 20 or 30. You know, whatever it is, you know, there's a better way when, you, when you're going to get married. Find somebody, find somebody and get attracted to them because of their divine nature in Christ. Because they're kind and they're generous and they're servant-minded. And, and you find somebody like that who in 20 years has taken the divine nature and it's increased in them. Instead of building your relationship on those things that will decrease, and yeah, back there, Ashley as well, and Melissa. A lot of young people today I'm missing. But the point is, Caleb, got to call everybody out by name here, you know, Right? Who will be first? But no, seriously, when it, comes to, when it comes to getting married, choose a spouse and build your relationship on those things that, in, that can increase and not decrease. And your odds of sticking together are going to increase and not decrease. And I think that's just a great little bit of marriage advice there for us from Peter. Finally, let's go to the last point. And if I sometimes sound like a broken record, you know, someday if, if, if my, my funeral people said, he was always talking about our identity in Christ. He was always talking about the grace of God. Oh my, well, that'd be great by me. If, you, if that's how you talk about me at my funeral, that's great. And if I sound like a broken record, well, in my defense, let's look at the last part of this. We didn't read this earlier, but look at verses 12 through 15. Therefore, I intend always, says Peter, to remind you of these qualities, though you know them 
and are established in the truth that you have. So you've heard these a million times from me. You're established in this truth, but let me just remind you again. Can I remind you again? It's all about Christ and your identity in Christ and not you. Verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, I will, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so Peter said, I'm going to die. Jesus told me I'd be crucified upside down for him, you know, or I, you know, I'm going to be crucified for him. And so that's, that's, I know it's coming someday. And when I leave, I want you to remember, you can remember anything. Remember this. The Christ is formed in you by the faith of Christ. And as you get to know Christ, and, and not because of what you do, but because of who he is in you, and it's your identity, and, and just understand that. And so this is the last point. Christ is formed in me as I remind myself exactly who I am. Every day, every day, remind yourself every day who you are and why do we need to do this every day. The reality is that Satan is always there trying to undercut the truth and trying to convince us. He's the accuser of the brethren. He will tell you you're not good enough. You don't have enough faith. You're, you're just not good enough. And yeah, on my own, I'm not. And no, I don't have enough faith without the faith of Christ, but I have the faith of Christ. And I am good enough because I have the identity of Christ and I have his righteousness. Note the illustration here that Peter uses in this last section of the passage. Um, here's what he says. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So what Peter is saying here, the person who is not virtuous, the person who is not knowledgeable or self-controlled or steadfast or godly or full of brotherly affection or love, the person that's not demonstrating these qualities is the person who has lost sight of who he is in Christ. He's forgotten that he escaped corruption of this world because of the desires of sin. He's escaped that. That's not who he is anymore. So the key to Christ being formed in me is to continually remind myself, this is who I am. No matter what the world says, no matter what the enemy says, no matter what anybody else in my life says, this is who God says. And when we struggle to believe, then what do we do? Well, I'm having a hard time believing that God really is not mad at me. I'm having a hard time believing that God really loves me. I'm having a hard time believing that. But you know what? I believe Jesus believes it. I believe he believes it. You know why I know that Jesus believes it when I don't? You know why I can say that? Because he went to the cross. Because he hung on that cross because he believed God loved me. Because he believed he could give his life to me. And when I'm struggling with my identity and who I am that's what I have to believe. Let me give you three focuses for this year then that we can focus on. I need to focus on this one I preach here. We need to focus on this in our daily devotions. Here it is, what I, what I am supposed to be doing. That's the first focus and that's the bad focus because when I focus on what I'm supposed to be doing, my New Year's resolutions to do better and be better and oh, how I blew them again, I'm left with guilt and shame. We shared that story last week about that poet right back in 1738 or whenever it was that kept every year setting the same New Year's resolutions for 38 years because it was worth it, you know, it was so important. And, and the thing I took away from that, besides the grace aspect, was the fact that, yeah, that's, the poor, that's a poor way. Don't set New Year's resolutions every year. Every year, sit down and say, I'm going to remember this year who I am in Christ and who He is in me. 
So that's the wrong focus. What I'm supposed to be doing is guilt and shame. But here's the reality. Who I am in Christ is grace and glory. And I just remind myself all the time who I am in Christ and His grace in me and His glory in me. I think that is also so incredibly significant. I don't think I put it on the screen here. Um, But that idea of of glory, he says it in the text here. Um, he, He brings that, that we have been called to the glory and excellence of Christ. Think about that. When you think of your identity in Christ, part of your identity in Christ is, well, well, it's in John 17. And that's not on the screen, but let me read this. John 17, I read this last week. I do not ask for these. Jesus speaking to his disciples shortly before he is ascended into heaven, before he goes to the cross and and is, is resurrected and ascends to heaven. He prays for his disciples and he prays for you and I as well. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Do you understand that? That when Christ sent his Holy Spirit into us, he gave us his glory. The glory that Adam and Eve, they had in the garden, right? We've talked about all the time. They were covered with the glory of God. That's why they couldn't see their nakedness because they had the glory of God. And the minute they sinned, the glory of God left them and all of a sudden they're like, ooh, wait a minute. Don't look at me. And they hide from each other and they hide from God because they lost the glory. When we are saved, we're crucified with Christ and raised with Him, and we get His life. He gives us His glory, and He shines His glory out of our broken lives today, out of our hurting hearts and all, all the things, all the, the, the struggles we go through, and He shines His glory through our lives to give Himself glory. When I focus on who I am in Christ, I'm left with grace and I'm left with glory that so consumes me. And then also, this is the other focus, what I am capable of, just to realize I'm capable, that I have the fullness of the identity of Christ in me and I'm capable of nurturing that or he can nurture that in me through his divine power. And that gives me purpose and hope in the world today. Purpose and hope. It is the divine power of Christ that nurtures the divine nature of Christ in me. There are some questions there. You can walk through these later on today. I would encourage you to do that, to just kind of ask yourself those questions that speak to this message. But let me leave you with this. So for, for Christmas, um, we, there's six siblings in our family. We, we don't normally get gifts for everybody um, at Christmas. We used to, but we don't anymore. Um, but this year, my brother Jody, I, and I was homesick because I missed the party, but uh, Jody got everybody, I think he had all the siblings presents. He got me a present, so I hope he got them a present. And so I got this present. I got six of these all wrapped together in one thing. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And there were M&Ms, and there were Twix, and there were six different kinds of candies here, and I'm looking at that. And the first thought when I, when I looked at that was I thought, you know, six of them all stacked together and wrapped together, I'm thinking, that's a lot of candy. There's a lot of candy, right? That's pretty big. And so I finally decided Friday night, working on the message, I'm going to crack open one of these and have some candy. And I cracked it open. And inside, it's, it's empty now, but inside there were uh, four of those little fun-sized bags. They have about eight, eight M&Ms apiece, and I dumped them in there, and it, just enough to cover the very bottom of this tin. <laughs> How disappointing. You think the whole thing's got M&Ms, and you open it up, and there's just a little bit in the bottom. How disappointing. 
that is. Now, I was reminded of that. I was thinking of Jesus said that he came to give us life, right? But he actually says he came to give us abundant life. He came to give us more life than we could ever imagine, more life than we could. And I'm telling you that if you crack open the scriptures and if you do some, you know, just, just, just crack open your life and look in your life and, and, and look at who you are in Christ, you're going to find out that there's more, more than you could have ever imagined inside of you. More potential, more opportunity, more grace, more hope, more glory than you could ever believe. And, uh, and, and, and more of who I am. That's the sermon title. More of who I am. And it's the divine power of Christ that nurtures the divine nature of Christ in me, that forms Christ in me. And I tell you, that's the abundant life. That's the life that we're all looking for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter's heart. Thank you for Peter backing up what Paul said. They say the same thing. They just remind us of the same thing. May we just, as we go through this near, you're continually remind ourselves who we are in you, our potential in you, and may we just help us all in this series to find just one area, maybe one trait, one quality, where Christ can be formed in us in greater and greater and greater ways. Help us live for your glory. Bless everyone as they go home today, Lord. Bless their week ahead. And... Um, Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.